And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Today is Wednesday, October 26th. Joining us today, someone I can't believe it's been so long and we have not had him on the show yet. I'm thrilled to have him today. From the QB school, JT O'Sullivan. JT, thank you very, very much for taking the time to do this. Robert, my man, I'm fired up for this one. Talk a little quarterbacking. A lot of quarterback talk today. So we're going to talk about uh, a lot of guys that have had particularly noteworthy seasons, but the timing on this was great. The universe did us a favor. The Bears played last night. Justin Fields had, I don't know, arguably his best game as a pro and inarguably, I think the most interesting game plan that we've seen from the Bears offensive coaching staff. And I know that you've watched Fields with a particular curiosity since he came into the league. I think you're a fan of a lot of the stuff he's able to do. So I wanted to start with what that looked like last night. And when I was watching your video today about the game, which people should go check out the QB School YouTube channel if they have not. Go sign up for the Patreon if you have not. It's really some of the best analysis you can get. So you're talking about that game plan. There was almost like a sense of relief in your voice watching some of the stuff that they were doing last night with him in the run game. Well, I first of all, I appreciate the kind words. The uh, the other thing, you you can't see me, but I have this huge grin on my face because you're you're totally <laughs> right. You know, I think for a lot of people that have been fans of Justin Fields and probably root for the Bears now on some level, I think we've all just kind of been sitting in this weird quagmire of what are they doing and why aren't they using this unique dynamic skill set in a way that we see other people thrive in and it's as simple as saying on one level hey we need design quarterback runs and, and really since the beginning i think a lot number of people have been calling for it and it just hasn't happened up until yesterday last night monday night football and to see it 
and to see not just like the zone read ish stuff, but to see comprehensive runs like gap runs, we're pulling people, we're getting to the edge. It's a full catalog of quarterback runs coupled with some play action, some move the launch point. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is functional at a really high level. And God forbid they ever add some talent around him to help be <laughs> explosive. And it would really be special. And I think you could, we could start to see the bones of what it could be in that performance in Foxborough. So we did a show right after the Thursday night game against Washington. And uh, I'm from Chicago. Everyone knows that I grew up a Bears fan. I watched the Bears with a particular interest. And I was kind of crustfallen watching that game because when you watch it, in my mind, it's like if this they keep going down this track, I think this leads to like a very dark place where the bad habits that he has continue to compound and get even worse because this situation is so untenable. And then you watch what happened on Monday night and it's like, all right. If this is going to be the structure, the, the term you use all the time I think is particularly interesting is offensive architecture. If this is going to be the offensive architecture, then maybe we can mitigate some of the talent deficiencies, get through this season where positive progress continues to be made, and then next offseason, let's see what happens. And if last night is any indication, that timeline, that route is still on the table, and that is music to my ears and I think to every single Bears fan out there. Yeah, and I I think you're right on there. I think it's 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 such an NFL reaction, and I find myself doing it all the time too. Where it's you have to, in essence, hold your own hand and not overreact to even to great performances like what the Bears did on the road, to maybe some issues before that. To say, hey, we have to have the capacity to have a long term vision for what we're trying to do here. Now, the flip side of what the Bears were doing, and I think it's worth at least acknowledging is it's, it's hard to run the quarterback in between the tackles consistently. And so, yeah, you got to pick your time and places. And I think that they did in this game as a decent example as far as maybe the red area or some really crucial third downs to be able to run him. And that's what I think we, everybody who loves fields, wants to see more of is just being really smart about it. But you have to take advantage of that skill set. And I think you can build on it and you, and you can build on it and make it really explosive because there are things that he does that other elite athletes do from the position, but there are other things that he does that not everybody else does. He can really, really throw the ball down the field. And I think we've seen it now at multiple different levels and layers. And so once you kind of construct that unique element of what Justin Fields can do with what everybody else is doing in the run game, then I think you see it really take off. I thought the timing of it was really interesting too. You know, last season, I think there was so much talk about what the Eagles did in that mini buy. And theirs came, I think, four games into the season. So it was very early and they could kind of pivot what their offensive game plan was on the dime. And, you know, talking to those guys there, whether it's Sirianni or Shane Steichen, that's when they did it. After that game on Thursday against the Bucks, they were like, we can't keep going like this. Like, this just isn't working. We need to lean into what we're doing well. And then they make this 180 degree turn where they become the most run-heavy team in the league and they build an offense around their quarterback that when you watch it, you're like, all right, this makes sense. Like It has limitations, but this makes sense. And then the Bears have that same situation after six weeks where they have this mini bye week. They have 11 days. And clearly, that staff got together and were like, all right, this is the time to implement some of this stuff because what we're doing right now clearly isn't working. So you could kind of give them shit for it taking six weeks into the year, but they also, I think, deserve a little bit of credit for making it happen now when they did. 
And, and that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think they can have it both ways too. I think you can, you can see the in-season adjustments that come from anyone, but to see it transpire like that on kind of that national stage versus, uh, versus that opponent on the road was really cool to see. I think it will be fun to see what it looks like and evolves going forward. Cause I, I still think that there are certain gaps that, that they haven't been able to take advantage of what fields really can do well throwing the ball that I think compared to Hertz is just a one-off, you know, is, is probably a much better passer driving the mm -hmm. ball down the field. And so what that looks like as far as a unique thing, the other thing I would, I would mention about that is for whatever reason, and this kind of, a, I don't love these generalizations, blanket statements about the league, but the league, for whatever reason, feels like they're just a little bit behind the times as far as what it looks like to run the quarterback. When you look at every other level of ball, and I know that there's a lot of investment in those quarterbacks, and, and rightfully so, being careful with what they are and how they get hit, but the, the level of athlete playing quarterback nowadays, when they're the best athlete on the field, you have to be able to run them. You just have to. It changes the math across the board, and so being smart about what that looks like, if you're not doing that, I think you're leaving a, a tremendous amount of yardage on the field. And I would argue that it actually does show an investment in the quarterback to build this sort of game plan around them because you're thinking about what is the infrastructure we can build to speed up or accelerate or harness the long-term development of a Justin Fields. Even if we're running him a little bit more and the chances of him getting hurt are a little bit higher, if this is whatever we have to build around him to eventually get to the player that he can be, that is an investment in your quarterback. So I think that's the viewpoint that I would take on it more than anything else. Yeah, I, I think it's just worth acknowledging that, that that there's a shadow to this side of what, what the offense has evolved to across a lot of levels of football. And so Trey Lance is a perfect example. Yeah, you know he's a he's a guy who I would want to see very similar stuff to what the Chicago Bears and I think Justin Fields can do really well with what Trey Lance and his opportunity was cut short because of injury running the rock and so that's part of it and that's probably part of you know some of the lessons and kind of the bad luck that can go into some of this quarterback development. The obviously the run game jumps out from last night, but there were a couple of throws I wanted to talk about that you pointed out that those are the moments where I'm like, all right, I can really buy this. On the first drive, he had a completion in Nikhil Harry on an inbreaker where he goes from one to two very quickly and just rips the ball over the middle of the field. And those are the moments when I'm watching that happen and him move through that progression and that process so quickly where that's when I start to get really excited. Because when I'm watching him play, and you allude to this, and I think we've talked about this ad nauseum, sometimes the mechanism and the timing can be so slow that it gets frustrating. So when he's doing that, it's like, all right, this is cooking with gas. Like, this is when I start to get really excited about what he could ultimately be if this sort of stuff starts to happen consistently. Uh, I think that's a good example from what you're talking about. I would probably push back and say, you know, you you probably know he could do that. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of narrative or for whatever reason that he can't do that. I think he's proven that over the course of his playing career at a really high level of college football and when he gets time in the league, which is tough with that line sometimes to say, yeah, I can go one, two, three. I really can. Now it doesn't look quick from the pocket because he is a little long or he is a little deliberate in some of his motion and movement, but he can go one, two, three. And he's proven to me now multiple times. I mean, I, I don't really know where it came from to start with, but it certainly has lingered with him that it's a one, one and done thing or one and scramble one and run. And I think when you turn on the film, that's just not the case because there were even, 
that's a really nice one, and that guy's wide open over the middle. But there are plays later in that game, really probably more important plays, third downs, where he goes one, two, three, all the way across the field, full field reads. That's stuff that you don't see. You know, there's stories about Tom Brady not having a lot of full field reads in game plans for a long time because it's just really hard to do it. He's doing it right now. So the one, the negative example that you threw out that, again, is just one of those moments. It's like, ah, like that. that's where it gets frustrating is that there was a slant flat to the bottom of the screen from the plus 35 at one point where he takes a sack and he was kind of fighting for the laces a little bit and his eyes were down the middle of the field and he just doesn't take it when it's there. Is that something where that's easy for you to reconcile with over time, with more time, with more reps, with more help, that sort of stuff can get phased out of who he is as a quarterback? I think that there's certainly a large opportunity for that to be phased out. I think you touched on a number of different variables that went into probably what went wrong on that play. You know, I think you have to mention that it looked foggy, misty, wet-ish. You know, he certainly had a couple earlier throws that were grip it and rip it, no laces that went like sliders, you know, where you catch that wet thumb <laughs> and that ball just is a, you know, a sinker. And so from that standpoint, I could see maybe wanting to get on to hold on to it and find the laces. But you're right. The the discipline with his eyes to not be where they're supposed to be on that play. The footwork, again, right, that's a good example for me of it's it's not. I don't think it's it's just kind of like cavalier. It's not there's the suddenness that you know he has and you can see in his change of direction when he runs and the explosiveness isn't in his quarterback footwork. So when you could get that pocket footwork to be that sudden and be lined up ready to go, I think that's an easy completion and then you don't need the miracle scramble after that. You can save that and that can be the touchdown play after. And so yeah, those plays are frustrating and I think you know, especially when you're getting hit and taking sacks, it's it's all bad. For me, it's you know, we talked about this a little bit this morning when we were just talking about other stuff, me and Nate. It, the pie chart of good and bad, like the negatives and the positives. My hope was that this season, those catastrophic plays last year and all of the sacks and all of those negative moments, that we slide toward a ratio that those are diminished and you start to see more positive plays. And that's kind of what last night felt like. It's like, all right, like there are still some negative plays. There are going to be some negative plays. But as long as the ratio of positive and negative starts to change and drift in the other direction, then you can start buying which way this is headed. And that's kind of how I felt after last night. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to say it. I might even add a layer in there with some of those negative plays. You know, I, I think that they can even be buffered in how you categorize them. Like some of the times when he's loose with the ball, you know, some it's it's going to happen. Like you're, the ball's going to hit your knee when you're running sometimes. But some of those sacks that you are decision making sacks that are sacks that you could help with your footwork, with your processing, those types of things, those are the ones that I want to see get rid of. Other ones, you know, are, are when you're outside the pocket, you know, the or a good example is the third down where they fumble the snap. Okay, they mm -hmm. third down, they fumble the snap. He scrambles for a first down. Well, that could for most quarterbacks in the league, that is a bad, bad play, and you're jumping on that and it's over. But he's got the capacity to turn that bad play. He doesn't make it a disaster. He doesn't get outside the pocket, make a bad decision. He just says, the hell with it, I'll get it myself. And that to me, are those are the plays where you start seeing the growth? Like, okay, we're not going to panic. We're just going to get what's there. I get a first down. We keep on going. 
the his explosiveness in terms of how vertical he can get as a runner, something you pointed out, and it really is something to behold. When he puts his foot in the ground, he can just gain so much ground compared to pretty much any other quarterback. Watching his ability to get north-south, like on the touchdown, for example, it really is a different sort of thing when you watch him run the ball compared to pretty much any other quarterback in the league. Yeah, I mean, when you when you couple their size, I don't know what he size-wise is compared to Lamar, but he sort of looks bigger. I think he's, I mean, he's 6'3", 230 is what he's listed at. So he's he's definitely bigger than Lamar is. Yeah, and so when he strides out, you know, it looks like just a like a tight end on with a turbo, you know, that, that type <laughs> of thing where it, where everything is just faster than it should look. And it really is, you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, when he decides to get vertical, he is running away from people. Every run, it seems like he is separating. And those guys are not giving up. And those people are not slow human beings that he's running away from. And so it is a unique skill set. And I, and I do think it is a, it's going to be a really fine line for them, but it's something that I think you just have to take advantage of because man, his ability to run the rock is special. It just feels like this, it all starts to start rolling downhill. If you can get that going, right? You're in more favorable down and distances more often. You're dictating the game more often. It's not third and eight as often. When it is third and five, you can run him like they did if you want to every once in a while. So it just feels like even if this part of his game maybe is an interstitial on the way to him developing some of those better habits in the pocket, I still think it's a really important phase to get him comfortable and put him in the right situations over and over and over again, which they weren't doing before. Yeah, I, I would say that I just love the fact that for at least for me watching it from the outside, wondering why the hell weren't we doing this? Why were not why weren't we calling some sort of quarterback run game for Justin Fields consistently to then them come out on Monday night football and have really a comprehensive catalog of runs, multiple different ways to do it, whether it's quarterback draw, whether it's zone read, whether it's zone read lead, whether it's pin and pull, whether it's counter. And to see all of it in one game and have them thrive and, and just be like, what the hell? Like, where has this been? Like, bye week, my week, like, whatever. Like, this is not new football. Like, this has been really popular for a long time in high-level football. Why are we, you know, yes, more of this. And so now to know that they have this as a blueprint. Now, you might not run him that much all the time, but once a quarter, you know, I don't think is too much to ask, especially in really meaningful situational ball. This may seem like an obvious question, but why don't you think more coaching staffs are willing to do that? Where it's like, all right, these maybe aren't ideas that are central to the place that I come from. And if you look at what the Packers offense was, where Luke Getze comes from, that's the case. But it was the same thing with the Eagles. Like when Nick Sirianni and what they're running with the Colts or what Shane Steichen was doing with the Chargers aren't the ideas that they're running with the Eagles. So why do you think more coaches aren't willing to say, I'm going to learn about this stuff and try to incorporate it into what we do, even if it's not my background? <laughs> oh man, this is a loaded one on many levels. I, it's, it's, uh, I, I know, yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, I, I think that there's a number of reasons. The The easy reason and kind of the, the, the thin veneer would be the reason these guys got these jobs was because of the systems and what they were running to get there, if that makes sense. And so mm -hmm. to do anything out of their comfort zone for a lot of these cats that are older cats, I think is really, really tough. The other side is that they love to tell you how adaptive they are and how, you know, don't have a fixed mindset. We're going to have a growth mindset and da, da, da. And we're going to find out all about all this stuff in the off season and the clinic season. It's a little bit different when you got to get out there and call it 
on third down and you got to install it when you don't know where the bones are buried on some of these plays, some of these reads, some of these RPOs, SROs, different ways to manipulate the decision-making. And you're taking the decision-maker, you're, you're basically saying, hey, quarterback, you make the decision where the ball goes. Coordinator, hey, I'm going to give you the framework, the structure to decide where it goes, but I have to trust you to make the decision all the time. And so it can be a little unsettling for some of these control freaks. It really can. You're loosening your grip. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just tough. And that's just the way that ball is played at, at most lower levels. Now, there are certainly more elements of this. And so in the league, you just don't see it for a number of different reasons. I, I think you could get dive into why you don't see that for a few different reasons. But I think just taking advantage of the way the rules, the game is played, the skill set of the position of so many guys now are just so much better at running the ball, at being a better athlete. You just don't have that old school statue just doesn't exist. And so you have to have the numbers in your favor as often as possible. And running the quarterback is just the easiest way to do it. It's exactly what I was about to say is that it's the easiest way to flip the math. And you said it in one of the examples from that game. If they're not in zero, you have a numbers advantage. Like you have a numbers advantage. So if you have disadvantages elsewhere, if you have deficiencies elsewhere, talent, whether you could spend resources on offense, all of these things that the Bears have, it's necessary to tap into the one hidden advantage that you do have. And that's what we saw them do for the first time last night. And it does make me a little bit more optimistic about whatever flexibility, malleability, creativity could come later, the fact that they're willing to do something like this. Yeah, I mean, you're right on. And it, and it really is. I think when you explain it in a numbers way and you actually do the math on the field and you say literally, hey, quarterback, if there is a safety in the middle of the field, we can run you. That, that It's just that simple. So once you see middle field close, it's that simple. <laughs> and I think people freak out and you can't really see it always from the broadcast. But that third and five example of running on the edge is a perfect example. They just don't have the math. It doesn't matter. Now, you got to be able to hold up on the edge and, you know, wall somebody off one-on-one, whatever. But it's that simple. And it, and it really is that simple. Stick around until the end of the episode to hear the trailer from Kuva to Qatar, remaking the U.S. men's national team, a narrative podcast from The Athletic. Sam Stasekel and Paul Tenorio spoke with head coach Greg Berhalter, star players Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams, and U.S. soccer legend Clint Dempsey, among many others, to bring you the firsthand story of the men's national team's long road from not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup to sending a talented young squad to this year's tournament. You'll be able to get every episode on The Athletic Soccer Show feed on November 1st, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So I wanted to kind of go from this and talk about what quarterback development actually looks like for you. 
because that's really what I wanted to dig into. It's that we know Justin Fields is whatever he is right now. So how does Justin Fields go from this guy with some of these deficiencies, with some of those moments? It's like, man, that just can't happen to a long-term starter in the league. I'm just using him as an example. So I wanted to just start this by asking you, over the last couple years, who to you has been a really good example of someone who's shown some tangible improvement in those areas, who is kind of an example of quarterback development as we think about it? Well, I mean, I, I think everybody would probably mention Josh Allen as the. I was going to say not Josh Allen category, so that that's, I mean, we can start I mean, there if we want to. I mean, honestly, I would probably be better at this at just walking through what the process would look like for anyone. And jo- Josh Allen can be a, a template because he does some of the things that I would suggest people to do. And I, I don't think that the template is necessarily a secret. The first part of understanding it is that it's a year-round development. Okay, so the, I don't think that's that out of the ordinary to understand. But if you're a fan, you know when the season ends, the quarterback development is really just beginning. The most important part of the development, I would say, for the quarterback position happens in the offseason. So whether you're dealing with your own personal improvement, your nutrition, your health, your strength, whatever, you're also probably working with a quarterback professional coach. You're probably on the field a number of times during the week. So you're working on your mechanics. You're working on your biomechanics. You're working on every element of that throwing motion. From there, you're doing all the off-season relationship building, working with your wide receivers, doing all those types of things that come, couple that with learning, mastering the system, all those types of things. That's before you even get to minicamp. You know, so that's before the draft, those types of things. That's the real development for me with the in-season development, the camp development. Now you're talking about scheme heavy, right? You're talking about how to play the plays. What are the coaches' expectations? Weekly improvement, those types of things, the leadership of the group the influence, but it's a long-term multi-year, you know, I think of it as almost in half decades. And I think that's hard for people to realize same way that I think about like draft evaluations, like think half decade, don't think, oh my God, it's week seven. And my quarterback had a bad fantasy week. Like nobody cares about that when it comes to the long-term development of some of these guys. And so just the framework to think more longitudinally, I think will help people understand. And then just the detail and depth that these guys go after the development of the quarterback position. Do you think that guys like Mahomes or to a certain extent, Justin Herbert or even Joe Burrow have given us a misrepresentation of what quarterback development actually looks like in the real world because of how quickly they were able to look like semi-finished products? No, I mean, I think that's where the game is. I think that, that a lot of those guys, you know, the Joe Burrow is a good example of someone who found his opportunity to play, but never, and I'm talking about in college, didn't work out immediately, found his opportunity to play, continued to develop. And you've seen this acceleration of development, but he's a perfect example of a guy who is all in, right? Like chef, personal trainer, uh, polished passer, working on his craft all off season, working on the, what his relationships are like with the wide receivers, the timing, the health of all those types of things. He's totally like rehauled how he takes care of his body. Like everybody, right? Like it's no secret. Everybody sees Tom Brady. Everybody sees the guys with the longevity and what it takes and what the investment into yourself looks like. But he's just, he and those guys, now some of those guys are just straight up unicorn freaks, right? Like Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, you walk around, they're unicorns. But guys like, you know, Burrow, Mahomes a little bit more, they're, they're more just polished passers that have accelerated the learning and development. And I think it's a combination of many things from younger ball being better 
to those guys getting an opportunity to play immediately and those guys having some great weapons in really cool situations. And so it's all of those things coupled together. And that's why it's so damn hard for people to really get like, why is our quarterback not developing as fast as those quarterbacks? Well, every situation is different. Every organization is different. Yeah, there's so much luck in this process as well. And it's all of those things make this kind of cocktail of craziness. So I want to ask about some of those factors, but it was drilling down a little bit into some of the mechanical things that we can see or some of the process-oriented things that you can see. When in your mind, when you're watching tape, can and what do you see when you're like, all right, this guy is making some of these tangible strides? Is it footwork first? Is it where his eyes are going first? Like, What's your checklist to see that someone's headed in the right direction? Well, let's first set the kind of limitation on this, that it's it's almost impossible to get a holistic snapshot from what I do, you know, just from watching video from afar. Cause I don't know what their reads are. I don't know mm -hmm. what their footwork is supposed to be, but when you're their coaches or their personal coaches would know exactly what that looks like. And so for me, it would be all of those things. I think when you turn on the film and you're like, okay, I want to see somebody who's locked in and, and looks like they're on a polished professional development path. I want to see consistent ball control. I want to see accuracy. I want them to be able to put the ball where they're supposed to put the ball, when they're supposed to put the ball consistently. And then the thing that really jumps off for me is always anticipation. If you're showing consistent anticipation in any system at any level, you know what the hell you're doing. There's just no way around it. You know exactly what you're doing. You're either being coached really well or you're locked in with exactly what your system is. And either one of those things can win on Sunday. And so you couple that with, you know, you obviously need some sort of functional arm strength and the, and the mechanics and the footwork and all those things can be worked on and coached. But if you can't control the ball consistently, you're going to struggle. So talking about the luck that you need and some of the things around you that you need, obviously, if we're looking at the plan around a quarterback for accelerating, facilitating that development, what the Eagles have done with Jalen Hurts is a pretty good recent example. And the, what they've built around him, whether it's the offensive architecture, whether it's the talent around him. I wanted to ask you this. What do you think is the most important piece from a personnel perspective for helping the acceleration of your young quarterback? If you could have the Eagles offensive line and pass protection, or you could have the Bengals weapons, if you were playing the position, which would you rather have? Uh, I'd rather have the weapons on the perimeter. Okay. Uh, I think you can, I think you can hide deficiencies up front a little bit easier nowadays game with certain levels of you know rpo perimeter screens quick game those types of things moving the launch point i think i've been in huddles before where you kind of have to take a deep breath and be like oh you know like it's going to be contested today you know <laughs> we're not we're not separating out there fellas you know and it's a bad feeling but like i've also been in the huddle with calvin johnson and been like hey this feels pretty damn good like let's roll like i'll just, i'll throw it up you got it and so those types of things, it's a different feeling. And that's why those guys are getting paid like they deserve, to be honest with you. I mean, that, that's the reason, you know, the game has evolved, but those guys are getting paid because they are so damn important. And, uh, you know, I think when you don't have that, you can certainly get creative like we've, like we've seen the Bears, but you can also get creative like the Eagles have gone out and upgraded their personnel. And so it can be all of those things. I think the other thing that probably has to be mentioned when you're talking quarterback development is you got to. The other reason about the acceleration part of it is because the way you're building your roster in the NFL with a rookie contract, you have to take advantage of them before you pay them. And so you, you have this uh, kind of like stero on steroids type mentality that we got to 
buff everybody else up to take advantage of this before we pay this guy if he becomes the guy. Now, the long-term thing for me that I've started thinking about is, is is that just the way some teams are going to go? Like, are we not going to pay the quarterback here at some point? Is this going to turn into like we're we're tilting towards the running back type vibe and we're just going to build everybody else up because we have this kind of insurgence of quarterback, young quarterbacks that could potentially be functional? Maybe. I it's a fascinating conversation and you know it's one that we've had over the years and I remember you know really drilling down on it with Bill Barnwell a couple of years ago and he wrote about this and it was right when the Rams are going to have to make their decision with Goff and the way that I would talk about it now is that I almost think that some of the structure and the mechanisms around some of those play action McVay Shanahan quarterbacks and the efficiency that was almost guaranteed with those systems for a little while that seems to be eroding a little bit. And I think the gap between a guy who is just a plug and play person in those situations and somebody that can really make a difference, we're really starting to see that get wider and wider this year with what Mahomes can give you, with what Allen can give you. So I think if there was an argument to be made for that path and that plan, at its height, it was probably like four or five years ago. That would be my contention. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that that type of system plug and play. I'm, I guess, I'm thinking more of like the Jalen Hurts type model, where you got a guy who is strong, can run it, functional thrower, that you have all these weapons around you on a really good roster. You know, there's a lot of guys that could thrive in that situation. That's that you know, not that he's not doing a great job, but that's just the truth. And, that, and again, you're using one-off outlier organizational examples, but. I just, it, I can, like anything in life, I can tell you what you value by where you spend your money. Okay. And so if you're not going to spend your money at the quarterback position, you're going to spend it somewhere else. You're going to value something else. And so that's fine, but eventually you're going to have to make that decision and, and we're all going to find out what you value. And that's going to be the fascinating choice that the Eagles ultimately have to make is that when it comes time, what do they end up doing? And the nice part about them with Hertz is that they're not forced into a decision. He's under contract for a couple more years. They can slow play this. If there's an upgrade that's obvious to them this offseason, if they end up falling short, maybe they go that way. But there's nothing pushing them in that direction. I think that's the benefit of this, is they can do it on their own time. Exactly. So the, it was funny watching the your, your video about Hurts against, uh, against Washington, because there is the reason I asked the, the pass protection question is that there was a play where they're, they come up with a pretty creative solution where they're, they're fanning out both sides and they pick up a blitz and they just do an incredible job passing it off. And you watch that happen, and then you compare that with just how bad and simplistic and rigid pass protection plans have felt around the league this year against some of these really creative fronts. And again, that advantage they have in that area just feels so unique when you compare that to what offensive line play is around the league right now. I just almost can't imagine him developing without that sort of protection on that offensive line up front. So that, that's why I was asking, because it just feels like it's such an outlier with what they can do up front compared to pretty much every other team in the league right now. Well, I mean, I, I would push back to that. I remember the play. That was a great play. And sometimes offensive lines, especially great offensive lines, will fall into those types of things. But for me, if you were to ask me, you know, what was probably one of the biggest deficiencies you see on the Eagles film so far, I would say it's their capacity or plan or Jalen Hurts' lack of ability to throw hot. Yeah, it's 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 it jumps off the film. And so if I'm seeing it, 
you know defensive coordinators are seeing it you know other teams are seeing it and they will get exposed at some point it w- it will happen whether it's a bad pick whether it's getting someone smashed whether it's getting Jalen Hurts hit it's going to happen and so I think it hasn't happened up until this point because they do put so much stress on you with their perimeter and with Hurts ability to run but you know it's multiple times now where we've seen some potential for them to be almost fortunate to not have a bad play come off a hot situation I was, I couldn't, I didn't have time to watch it today. But I really wanted to. His game against the Cardinals that you broke down, they're obviously blitzing at a rate unlike any other team in the league pretty much right now. What did you think of some of their solutions against Arizona, who probably forced them into a lot of those situations? Well, I'll be honest, I don't remember the game exactly, but I can tell you that I don't remember seeing Jalen Hurt, and I'm sure he has. So I'm sure people will come at me at some point, but I don't remember seeing Jalen Hurt just drop back and throw a hot. Like there's a free runner, oh, I'll take the hot right in my face. It it just doesn't exist. Now, I will also say that for a long time, I didn't see Lamar Jackson have the capacity to do that. He basically said, hey, two middle fingers, I'll make you miss and go make a big play <laughs> and it will be great. And that's and he really did do that. And it frustrated me and it just exposed me for being kind of an old guy who couldn't do that. But at some point, I think that the defender is going to be able to squeeze you in and you're going to have to make a, some sort of hot throw. And so... You know, I just see that as a potential, if not the only deficiency <laughs> with what the Eagles got going right now. And I think at some point, you know, when it's a really crucial situation, end of game, end of half, that they're going to get heated up and he's going to get exposed because they don't have a good answer and they haven't proven that they have a good answer. Going back to the Justin Fields conversation from earlier and then also talking about what the Eagles have built around Hurts, I wanted to ask you, somebody who watches quarterback play all around the NFL. Who do you think has the best offensive architecture right now for helping their quarterback? Which staffs have done the best job of making life easy on the guy that they have? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I don't think it's ever quite as simple as that either. I think some guys have the natural ability to make it simple for themselves, if that makes mm-hmm. sense too. Sure. You know, I, you know, you you look at guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and they're the easy answer. <laughs> They're the easy answer to all of these questions. That's just <laughs> how good they are. But, you know, for me, it, it's about the ability. And you really see younger guys. Like I've seen Trevor Lawrence this year show that he's played really well in hot situations where he can get the ball out and he can, you see the growth and what I consider like a polished Sunday passer as far as the, some of the decision makings to make it clean. But as far as, you know, I, I just think, the structure of the way that the league is set up right now with some of these dudes that are playing quarterback at such a ridiculously high level and the way that some of these defenses, many of the defenses seem to have evolved and or caught up and maybe even surpassed some of these offenses as far as making things difficult about the big chunk plays, about being able to go over the top and really have the explosiveness and realize, hey, we've got to find ways to manufacture yards in between the 20s. All of those things together, I mean, I always think of, of you know, if I'm going to watch any two offenses, I think everybody's going to watch the Chiefs and the Bills right now as far as what that looks like, as far as arch- offensive architecture about playing to a quarterback strength. But just uniquely, the ones that I am intrigued about are always going to be the Ravens, always going to be, right now it's going to be Philly just because they're rolling like that. But it's to me, th- those are the ones that are rolling that make it easy to play in your offense. I think it's sometimes more interesting to look at the ones that are really struggling you know you look at you look at green bay right now you look at tampa bay right now and it feels like the, the you know the building's on fire what the hell's going on on so many different levels 
I want to get to that in a second, but I, I wanted to ask you about a couple of those offenses that you just mentioned, the Eagles being one of them and watching a lot of the work that you've done. It feels like you want to see more teams incorporate a bigger volume of RPOs into what they're doing to make things a little bit easier on your quarterback. Would you say that's fair? Uh I definitely want to see some level of RPOs. I feel like there are some teams that don't do them that I don't understand what the hell's going on. So that you just feel like it's almost a necessary component of an offense now just because of the answers that it can give you. Yeah, because of the stresses that it puts on a defense. I think you have to have the capacity to stretch a defense horizontally, vertically, and in the run game all at the same time. Yeah, it's it's something that I I don't know if I that gimmicky isn't the right word, but I don't think I really appreciated it until watching some of your stuff or just thinking about what it gives you as a quarterback and an offense, how necessary it is. And it, you just, there are some examples where you'll throw out there like, what if you had an RPO on this? Like, what could it give you? And it really does feel like that. And it's now, rather than being an outlier with an NFL offense, again, it almost feels like a necessary component for most of these teams. And that's a shift that I just don't think I really appreciated before. Yeah. And I, and I think it, you know, if you're not doing it, I just feel like you're leaving yards out there. I think it yeah. also says a lot about you as a staff if you're not doing it. You either have trust issues or your quarterback just can't do it. Now, I've been I've coached levels of football where the quarterback can't do it and we have RPOs on every run and we're not doing RPOs, bro. You're handing the ball off. You know like that <laughs> that's a part of it too. So I never want to say, you know, like everybody's got the same capacity, but you see it across the league, right? From like Aaron Rodgers back in the day to just catch it, taking the snap and throwing it out to a wide receiver, like an access, or you see like a post-snap RPO where we're throwing a glance down the field. Well, that puts so much stress on a defense. It just makes life so hard for them. I think you have to have the threat of that type of stuff all the time. Yeah. Even if it's not a situation where you're reading a particular player and it's not an advanced level of RPO, like what the Bengals are doing right now, they're not doing a lot of that stuff where they're reading an individual defender, but they're doing box counts. And if they think they have an advantage, they're just going to whip it out there. And just having that aspect to your offense, it's opened up their run game. I mean, it's just been one of those easy buttons that if you're not pressing, I think leaving meat on the bone is a great way to put it. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mm. 
that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's get to those frustrating offenses, the, the ones that when you're watching it are kind of the most difficult for you to stomach as somebody who's rooting for these quarterbacks to be in good situations. What are some of those teams, maybe even outside of Tampa and Green Bay, because you know, we've talked a lot about them, but other offenses you just don't think are putting their quarterbacks in the best situations right now? Well, here's a beautiful thing about my channel. <laughs> I really don't watch the offenses that I like this because I don't like watching them, but I can name them. I just won't be able to give you the level of detail that you probably hope it's te- that's totally it's te- fine. It's teams like the Raiders where you're feel like, Hey, we should be way better than this. Not the fact that Derek Carr is going to light the world on fire. And I necessarily place him as high as other guys place him, but it feels like things should be easier than they are. And whether that's Josh's issues or whether that's them working in new weapons on the perimeter or a new system or anything. I don't, I don't want to hear anything about any of the new system, whatever. Those guys are pros, pros, and it should be way easier to create space and big plays. You That, like Arizona, where you're like, what is Cliff? Let's make it easier for Kyler. I get it that he's not the biggest guy in the world, that that's not necessarily what an offense that we see run on Sundays for a long time. But man, we've got to be able to create better space and throw the ball to the good players more often. It's really not that hard. I think some people sometimes get lost, especially in scheme world, scheme Twitter, scheme whatever. Bro, the best scheme is to throw it to the best player. It's that simple. All right. I want to talk about a couple other guys that you broke down recently. And you did a, a video about Aaron Rodgers, just kind of this question of simplifying it versus a lack of execution. So when you were kind of doing some diagnostics about where Green Bay's offense are right now, what did you find? Well, I, I find that Aaron is trying to do what Aaron has always done. And that and that's to me to to kind of deal it and spin it everywhere he wants, be able to put the ball wherever he wants to elite guys on the perimeter. And they just don't have those guys. That doesn't exist. In addition, Aaron is getting hit all the time. He's getting hit like he's never been hit, it feels like. And it looks like it just the way that he's played. He's always played off platform, but he's always, I've always felt like he plays off platform intentionally. Like that's just the way he play. He, he has so much torque in his motion that it almost looks like he's jumping. Well, now he's almost like jumping backwards and throws that he used to be able to make that were handoffs are now skipping or now missing by yards down the field or throws that you never saw Aaron Rodgers miss consistently, where now it's like, you're, you're surprised when it's on the money and when it's on the money, it's dropped, you know, those types of things where it's just like a, a cocktail of things going sideways. It's interesting watching that and just their inability to kind of win in those situations. They're seeing a ton of man coverage and the team that's seeing the most man coverage in the league right now is the Baltimore Ravens, which isn't necessarily surprising, right? They have less than zero options outside 
And I think it's like 40.8% of Lamar's dropbacks this season, which was number one in the league. And going back and watching your breakdown of the Ravens offense against the Giants defense, I'm pretty sure you said Jesus Christ five times in the first two minutes of the video. And some of it is frustration about the lack of cohesion in the run game. There is some frustration about the lack of precision in the dropback game. I'm wondering where you think some of the limitations and deficiencies in the Ravens offense are kind of showing up for you right now. Well, you're right on there. They actually have been not up to their standard, I would say, in the run game, which will bleed into other issues. They're another perfect example of, I can tell you what you value by where you spend your money, and they're not spending any money on the perimeter. And eventually, even I would argue right now, it's stunted Lamar Jackson's growth as far as what I think he would want to be, what, what fans of ball would want to see him be able to do throwing the ball to the perimeter. Now, those t- the tight end is great, and I love throwing to the tight end as much as anybody, but you're never going to get the explosiveness. You're never going to get the consistent downfield outside the numbers that you should be able to get. When you say, hey, we're catching a lot of one-on-one, bro, we should be able to do whatever we want outside the numbers in the NFL if we're catching one-on-one with somebody on our roster. You know, you, a lot of these teams... If they have one-on-one, they'll immediately throw it out there to them. Where now the Ravens are catching all this man, and they can't separate. They can't create big plays outside the numbers. And and this is a big and for them. For what seemingly feels like half a decade now, they haven't had the scheme or the structure to allow him, Lamar Jackson, to do that from within the pocket. So all those things coupled together. And yeah, we're going to catch a lot of Jesus Christ out there. Watching, there was a couple examples where they're in heavy, heavy personnel, which they're in all the time, obviously. And you're just talking about all of the space that's outside when you're in those personnel groups. If teams are going to be just in single high looks and you get those one-on-one opportunities, it's just having someone that can do anything to exploit that space. And when you watch them right now, it is shocking just how unable they are to take advantage of those situations. And it's a bad feeling because when you're playing quarterback and that's the case, everything feels like it's on top of you, you know, almost like you're drowning where you're just getting hit with wave after wave after wave after wave. And okay, let's acknowledge that they don't have the perimeter skill that we think adequate to succeed long-term out there. And I would love to see Lamar Jackson throw any sort of ball outside the numbers with anticipation. Okay. Like, I mean, I think he could help that by throwing with some anticipation and they don't ask him to do that. So is he proven that he can't do that in practice or do they not ask him to do it? I don't know. It's you know chicken or the egg at this point, but that's the type of development I want to see from him because I, I really feel like he could unlock such another level with any sort of help on the perimeter and any sort, any, any sort of anticipation, lowercase a anticipation, soft anticipation. It's the anticipation is obviously part of it. And then there are plenty of examples that you pointed out where his footwork is just a little bit messy and precision is the word I keep coming back to. Like they lack precision in the passing game pretty often. And when teams are making you, forcing you to hit nothing but precise throws because they're playing man coverage all the time, those deficiencies and those problems become even more obvious and more glaring when you have to live in this world. Well, yes. And I would also argue that it's hard to talk really specifics footwork unless you're in the building and you know exactly what they're supposed to be doing on this on this specific play but i will say when you when i'm talking generic footwork like at the top of his drop whatever the drop is when he gets to the top of his drop a more consistent lower half meaning a powerful base all his cleats in the ground 
staying level with his eyes, with his shoulders, with his hips aligned to his target, he could be so much more consistent with his ball control because he has that unbelievable flick. But that flick really only comes out, it almost comes out better off platform. It doesn't, he doesn't, he's not as consistent with that flick from within the pocket because he's moving around, he's jumping around, he's, he's not settled. And that could that be tethered to the structure of the offense? It probably is, but it's also probably him. And those two things have to come together for him to kind of be able to take that next leap in that regard. You said you don't think they have the scheme to kind of overcome some of those deficiencies talent-wise. Where are the holes in the way their passing game is structured? That's not something somebody like me can see when I go back and rewatch the Ravens. All I see is that it feels disjointed at times, and it feels like it has a lack of precision. But where do you think are they're actually falling short in the structure of the passing game in the offense? Well, it, it's it's impossible unless you're in the building to know for sure, because do they not have it in their structure of the offense, or is it just not getting called? Yeah. Or is it not getting called because they can't do it in practice? And, and I've been around all of those situations. But for me, the glaring deficiencies are just, let's see some sort of intermediate, timed, pa- drop back passing game. You know, that, that to make it easy, make it easy on yourself, throw it to an open guy, throw someone open. It doesn't need to be some sort of crazy off platform, hit somebody in the flat. You know, we're hitting a contested tight end. Let's throw it outside the numbers because it's wide ass open. Let's throw it on time and let's put the ball where we want in a consistent manner, you know, whether it's simple stops or comebacks or hooks, or, you know, I would always prefer anything on the run. So guys that stay on the run, but man, anything where you feel like, Hey, Lamar Jackson is getting the ball out of his hand on time. That's what I want to see. JT really, really appreciate the time to tell people where they can check out some of the work that you're doing. Cause I highly encourage them to do that. Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm the main hub is the quarterback school, YouTube, and then everything kind of branches off from there, from the Patreon community to a bunch of courses. And I just really enjoy getting a chance to kind of drill down and, and do my own thing as far as watch the kind of quarterbacking that I like, the kind of football that I like, and connect and share with people that are kind of in that same path. So uh, people ask me all the time, how can I learn more about the stuff that you guys talk about? How can I just gather more information about football and why things are structured the way that they are and what schemes people are running? Going and watching some of the stuff that JT is doing is is a way that you can do that. The Patreon is what five, ten bucks a month, right, JT? There you go. Never been cheaper. Five bucks a month. Five bucks a month, and some of the YouTube videos he's doing are you know twenty, thirty minutes about a handful of plays from a game. But you can go watch the entire breakdown of every single play Lamar has against the Giants and figure out why they're doing things on certain plays, what the intent of certain plays are all of that stuff so if you want to learn a lot about offensive football about the run game even about quarterbacking please go check out all the stuff that jt is doing really really appreciate the time my friend it was great to chat with you appreciate it robert thanks for the opportunity all right guys that's all we got today really appreciate jt's time and your guys time for spending it with us we will be back tomorrow with mike sando and randy mueller and the football gm So please come back and check that out. In the meantime, if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel, I would really appreciate that. The description is in the link to this podcast. We're doing a ton more YouTube stuff this year. Nate and I will be doing our Ravens Bucks recap on Thursday night. So please go check that out. Nate's Wind the Clock this week was about Brees Hall. So please go check out that. Nate has done a fantastic job with those this year. 
Please subscribe to the podcast feed. Please rate and review the podcast. And please subscribe to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash football show is where you can do that. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show. The U.S. hit rock bottom in Cuba in 2017. Can't even talk about it. Still, it's tough to, to speak about. We failed. Simple. It was a, it was a very dark time in, in U.S. soccer's history, you know, not making the World Cup. That disaster, in some ways, was a blessing in disguise. With so many younger players coming in, everybody was extremely hungry. Competition started. The U.S. men's national team went through a dramatic evolution. Was at a point where I think, okay, I'm going to lose these guys here. They're going to stop believing in what we're doing. They're still forming. They're not fully realized players yet. I remember after that El Salvador game, just thinking to myself, man, like, this is going to be a grind. They're talented. There's a lot of hype around them. But are they really ready to take that next step? Everyone has something to prove. We got a lot of players who probably have that mentality. And now this team will head to the World Cup in Qatar with massive expectations around it. If we can get our group to play without fear, you know, we'll be, we'll be dangerous. We have one mission is to go to the World Cup and to win. I'm Paul Tenorio. And I'm Sam Stayskull. We are excited to bring you a special podcast series on the Athletic Soccer Show feed. From Cuba to Qatar, remaking the U.S. men's national team. The series details how the team was rebuilt, from the catastrophe of not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup to now sending a talented, young roster to Qatar. You'll hear from the biggest names in U.S. soccer, from head coach Greg Berhalter to former greats like Demarcus Beasley and Clint Dempsey, and current players like Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, and Gio Reyna. The entire series will be out on November 1st on the Athletic Soccer Show podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts.